Two weeks ago, we launched into a series entitled The Generous Church. The reason we picked this name, Generous, The Generous Church, is because the definition of generous is showing a readiness to give more of something, money or time, than is strictly necessary or expected. So the idea of being generous, for instance, with your money and with your resources is not the definition of being generous, is to give just enough or the bare minimum, but the idea of being generous is that you always are finding yourself going above and beyond. So whether that is generous with your resources, generous with your time, generous with your service to the church here at Coral Ridge and the kingdom of God here in South Florida. What it means to be a generous church is not asking yourself the question, what's the bare minimum? I'll just do that. Being generous is saying, what's the bare minimum? Then I'm going to kick it up a notch. I'm going to go beyond what is normally expected. And that's the definition of generous. And that's why we desire to be a generous church. And this morning, we're going to switch gears. Two weeks ago, we talked about what does it mean to be generous with our resources, generous with our treasure. And we concluded at that sermon, in that message, that we will never, ever let go of our earthly treasure until our hearts are captured by the great treasure that we have in heaven. We will never let go of our material wealth, our material resources, until our hearts are captured by the great worth and wealth of our heavenly treasure that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. But this morning, I want to switch gears because a church not only is called to be generous in the way that they give, but they're called to be generous in their welcome of others, what we would call hospitality. How do we become generous in our welcome and hospitality of others? We desire Coleridge Presbyterian Church to be a church that is generous in their welcome of people. And like I've mentioned in a couple weeks on February 11th, we're going to give you a chance to respond that, that card that's in your bulletin. You're going to have a chance to respond to the call to be generous with your welcome. We have places all around campus on Sunday morning. We need greeters and people out in the parking lots and ushers and people in the children's ministry. We want you to have an opportunity to respond saying, yes, I'm going to be part of what God is doing at Coral Ridge, especially in the area of creating a welcoming culture, a generous place of hospitality. And so I want to ask this question this morning, what makes God's people generous and their welcome and their hospitality of others? What makes God's people generous in their welcome and hospitality to others? To answer that question, I want us to look at Romans chapter 15. It says, we, we're missing a one in the bulletin, not Romans 5, Romans 15. And actually, we're going to read the first verse of Romans 14. So Romans 14, 1, and then we're going to move on to Romans 15, 1 through 7. Romans 14.1 says this, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, for as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have 
hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another and accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God and the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. A few months ago, on a satirical website called the Babylon Bee, I found this article titled, Churches All Are Welcome Sign Updated with a Long List of Exceptions. After receiving several complaints regarding the accuracy of the all are welcome message on the front sign, local pastor Rick Pinkerton finally tacked on an additional disclaimer listing multiple exceptions to Hartford Avenue Baptist Church's welcome policy. The sign now reads, all are welcome except sinners, tobacco chewers, tattooed people, Democrats, smokers, drinkers, dancers, etc. And continuing on the other side, hippies, hipsters, vegans, secular TV watchers, and Methodists. The source confirmed. We just want to make sure that we're advertising what our church is all about accurately. I'm really hoping that this new clarification leads to a much more homogeneous group of people gathering to worship the Lord this Sunday, he added. Well, even satire, unfortunately, always has an element or an ounce of truth to it, doesn't it? And what I want us to think about this morning is if people outside this church were to think about the Christians gathered in this room this morning, what would they say? Would they say they are some of the most hospitable, welcoming people I've ever encountered? I sure hope so. So this question this morning, what makes God's people? What makes us? What makes this church generous in their welcome and hospitality of others? The first thing that we see in the scripture that we read this morning is the command. There is a clear command in scripture to be welcoming. You can't just the few verses that we read explain the the passion that Paul exudes and he communicates in his command to be welcoming. Verse uh, Verse one of chapter 14, for the one who's weak in faith, welcome him. Don't quarrel over opinions. Chapter 15, verse 1, you who are strong, you have a strong language here, an obligation, not an option, but an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Verse 7, therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. You can see in just three verses, you can sense, or I hope you can sense, Paul's passion for the church to be a welcoming people, the command to welcome and to be hospitable. But Paul wasn't the only one that was passionate about welcoming others and welcoming outsiders. Jesus himself was just as passionate, even more passionate about the welcome of others and outsiders. Jesus, the last week of his life, he rides into Jerusalem, right? And they're all singing Hosanna and waving palm fronds. And where does Jesus go immediately? After he rides into Jerusalem, he gets off and he takes the what? He takes the whip and he goes right to the temple. And he goes where? 
He goes to the court of the Gentiles and he starts turning over tables and he scorns them and he rebukes them. Why? Because the court of the Gentiles was meant for what? It was meant for all the people of the nations of the world to gather and worship. It was meant for the outsider, right? It was meant for the stranger. And what did they do with it? They turned it into a modern day flea market, right? And he starts turning over tables and he rebukes them and he scorns them. Why? Because Jesus is passionate about his, the welcome of others. Matthew chapter 11, well-known verse. What does Jesus say? Come, come, all ye who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. See, we serve what we just sang. The God that we sang about this morning is a welcoming God. And he's demonstrated to us through a welcoming Savior that welcomes sinners. What did they say about Jesus? What did they say in in the Gospel of Luke? Look at this man. He sits and welcomes sinners. See, everything about Jesus' ministry, all the way up into the cross, dying for people that he would, at least this side of heaven, never even meet. He would die for you. He would die for me. See, the command to welcome throughout the Scriptures is strong. Paul is passionate here in Romans about the command to welcome. Jesus is strong in his command to welcome. And then verse 7, what does it say? Welcome how? With a generous welcome. Paul, Paul doesn't say, hey, welcome if you feel like it. He says, welcome in such a way that it would look like the welcome that Jesus has given you. That's strong language. That's a generous welcome To be generous in your welcome means to welcome others just as Christ has welcomed you. What does that look like for you today? It means as a church going out of your way to scoot down when somebody new comes to the end of your aisle. It means when we have this time for greeting and we think it's just this mundane routine and and Julianne asks you to find somebody new in the room, it means actually going out of your way. To say, welcome to Coral Ridge. We are so glad that you're here. It means taking out somebody to lunch today. It means inviting people to your small group or to your house. And you go, I got no room for my small group. I go sit on the floor. Figure it out. Figure out a way to make space. Figuratively and literally speaking, figure out a way to make space for people in your life. The command to welcome is clear and it's strong. But not only do we see a command to welcome, we see a challenge, right? If we're all honest with one another, welcoming and hospitality doesn't always come very natural to us. I talked to a, a lady a couple weeks ago. She said, I, you know, I went, to the, I went to the Bible study, and I just, I just don't, I don't think I really like the people sitting at my table, right? We're all, we've all been there, if we're honest. I, I, I love small group, but if that couple's coming, I'm probably going to skip today, right? For all honest, for all honest, we all struggle to some extent with the challenge to welcome and be hospitable. Why? Why? Why, why is this a, such a struggle for us? Well, Paul identifies it. He says in verse 1 of chapter 15, you who are strong, go chill with the strong people. No. You who are strong, you have an obligation to go be with the weak. You see, the first challenge that we all deal with is that we do not like to associate with people that are different than us. 
The strong want to be with the strong, and the weak going to be with the weak. And that was Paul's very simple way, painting with a very broad stroke, to say, you can list dozens and dozens of ways in which this group is strong, and dozens and dozens of ways in which this group is weak. All that to say is we all struggle by nature to associate with, pe- with people that are not like us. But Paul says, for the Christian, you are under obligation. You who are strong are under obligation to those that are weak. Like I said, what did they say about Jesus? Was there anybody stronger than Jesus? Who did he go to? The tax collectors and the sinners. So the first challenge that we experience in this command to welcome others is that we simply don't like to associate with people that are different than us. But the second challenge is this. It interrupts the primary objective of our lives, which is what? What's the primary objective of your life? Well, Paul identifies it. At the end of verse 1, it says, and not to please yourself. The primary objective of my life and your life is to please ourselves. Right? If we're all honest, the primary objective of your life and my life is to please ourselves. My life for me. And the greatest challenge that we will always face as believers is this, that my life now is not for me. And until we get over that, we will always wrestle. We will always be challenged in our welcoming of others. What does it go on to say in verse 2? But instead, let us please his neighbor for our good. No, still, let us please our neighbor for his good to build him up. Other than wanting to associate with people that are just like us, we will always be be challenged with living our lives for ourselves, and that will always prevent us from reaching out to making space in our lives to welcome others. I talk to a lot of people who are not content in their lives, not content in their job, not content with where they've been, and they say, I want to do great things, I want to change the world. And you know what I want to say to everybody that wants to change the world? Go be a friend of somebody. Go love someone. There is enough pain and there is enough loneliness and there is enough isolation in this room to spend your entire life trying to make an impact and a difference in. You want to go change the world? Go take somebody out to lunch today. Go call somebody tomorrow. You want to change the world? That's what it means to be great. Parents, parents, go sit down with your child this afternoon and teach them that there is someone in their class right now that is lonely, there is somebody in their class that does not have a friend, and they have a terrible home, and that God put them, God put you in that class to love that child. That's greatness, parents. To train your child and to teach your child that you were put in that first grade class to go love that child. That's greatness. We We can even witness greatness from a first or second grader. Like I said, right in this room, there is more pain and more brokenness and more isolation and more estrangement and more unreconciled relationships with people inside this room and outside this room. We could spend our entire lives dealing with just that, and that would be enough. Love your neighbor and welcome others. So we have the command to welcome, very clear. We understand the challenge, what prevents us from being a welcoming people. But lastly, the capacity. What gives you and what gives me the capacity to love? 
What gives you and what gives me the capacity to welcome others? What compels us? What motivates us? What will ultimately motivate you and me to welcome others and to be generous in our hospitality? The answer is in verse 3. For Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. You see, the only way that we will be generous in our welcome to others, the only way we will be generous in our hospitality to others is when we understand the depths to which God did in the person of Jesus Christ, even willing to take the reproach. What's a reproach? A reproach is a disappointment. It's disapproval. It's all of those times in your life that you have felt, whether it's from a friend or from a father or from a mother or from a boss, you have felt the feeling of their disappointment and their disapproval. That is reproach. You felt abandoned. You felt estranged. You felt unwelcomed. You've borne the, 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 the weight and the burden of being disapproved and being disappointed. And the message of the gospel is this. Jesus took that on. He took on the insult. He took on all of your disapproval. He took upon all of your disappointment. The reproaches that you experienced, the good news of the gospel tells us in Romans 15, were placed on Jesus instead. So when Jesus is on the cross, we can watch and witness a Savior that says, you've been insulted? Now I've been insulted for you. You've been abandoned? I am now willingly going to be abandoned and separated from my Father for your sake so that you might never be separated or abandoned again. The ridicule and the pain and the estrangement and all of the things that were meant for us have now fell on Jesus Christ and you will only welcome others to the extent that you understand the depths that God went for you. When that captures our heart, that Jesus was, became unwelcomed by even his Father so that you could forever be welcomed by the Father. Until your heart grasps that truth, you will never have the capacity to truly welcome and be hospitable to others. Therefore, welcome one another just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God with a generous welcome. Who, who could ever resist a welcome like that. Welcome others as Christ has welcomed you. And the question I have for you this morning, have you received the welcome of God? You see, the good news for you this morning, if you have always felt like the outsider looking in, if you've always felt like you've never been included, if you've always felt like you've never measured up, you've never been on the in crowd, the good news for you is this, that Jesus Christ came down and laid down his life for you so that you could receive all of the welcome you could ever hope for or imagine. That's good news. And the same Paul that writes in Romans 14 and 15 is the same Paul that writes in Romans 10 and he says, if you, this is how simple it is, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And you know what it means to be saved? It means to be rescued. It means to be made right with God. It means to forever, because of Jesus, be warmly welcomed by the Father. And that is good news. And that invitation 
is extended to you this morning. An invitation that the world will never be able to match. The warm welcome that your heart longs for can be found this morning in Jesus Christ. Let me end with this. Corey Ten Boom, her story of her life can be found in the book, uh, uh, The Hiding Place. And Corey Ten Boom grew up in a family in a small Dutch village, and their family hid Jews, lots and lots of Jews from the Nazis. And the story of, of her mom and dad and family harboring Jews and hiding them from the Nazis is, is recorded in the book, The Hiding Place. But one day, a Dutch collaborator ratted them out, and the Nazis came to the house to arrest Corrie Ten Boom and her parents. Corrie Ten Boom's father was old and frail. His name was Casper Ten Boom, but he was highly respected in the community as a watchmaker. Everyone loved Casper Ten Boom. And the Nazis approach the house and they ask for Casper Ten Boom and they say, Sir, we don't want to arrest you. Everyone loves you. It will be a PR nightmare if we are seen hauling you off. We will go away and this will all be forgotten if you can just promise us that you will not do this again. And he looked at them and he said, quote, If you leave me here, and tomorrow morning a Jew knocks on my door, or anyone else that needs shelter, food, protection, or a warm welcome, I will give it to them because I am a Christian. End of story. He died 10 days later. That's how long he lasted. But that frail old man understood that he stood in a long line of men and women that went before him that understood the grand vocation of standing in the place of God and welcoming strangers. It's a grand legacy we have, and it is our calling. And for those that have experienced the overwhelming welcome of Christ this morning, My prayer is that for you and for our church to be moved in such a way, maybe for the first time, to be moved in such a way that we as a church become the most welcoming, most hospitable people in this city to the extent where people look and they say, I might not agree with what they preach, I might not believe in what they say and what they adhere to, but they are some of the most welcoming, hospitable people that I've ever been around. And may God continue to stir within all of our hearts a spirit of generosity, a spirit of generosity so great as he continues to build his church here at Coral Ridge.